I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And welcome to The Food Fight, where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world. We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick. This episode, we're speaking to Brian Martin from Ravensworth Wines about his approach to winemaking and about how COVID and smoke taint have shaped his products this year. All right, welcome to another episode of the Food Fight Podcast. I'm your host, Steph Postuma, with my co-host, Simon Evans. Good morning. How are you, Simon? It's very early for me. Very early. Well, it's an early start. Pre, what, pre-10 o'clock? It was an early start for me. <laughs> and we're sitting here with Brian Martin out at Ravensworth Wineries in Myron Bateman, Canberra District. G'day, Brian. How are you going? Thanks so much for joining us, mate. Thanks for having us in this beautiful place. Why don't... Um, well, actually, we, we do start our, our podcast with an acknowledgement of country um, and being on the road to record a few podcasts, we find ourselves down in this Canberra region. So we acknowledge the Ngunnawal people who are the traditional custodians of the land where we are gathering here to talk today. And we'd like to pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Okay, Brian, this is a beautiful building. Um, and yeah, it's nice and cool in here. We've got, we've got barrels and all sorts of things around us. Do you want to just tell us, start off by telling us a bit about Ravensworth and a bit about what you're doing here, maybe about the building that we're sitting in? Okay, yeah, so the, the, the building's been a, um, a three-year project. Um, we've, we always we felt that we probably should have contacted Grand Designs earlier on because it did, everything that happens in those sort of programs happened here over budget builders going broke <laughs> there wasn't much, too much conflict between myself and jocelyn but it was you know what do you what do you do in what do you do lucky we don't live here so it's, but it's been three years since we actually tore down the, the original buildings that were here with the idea of trying to build a um essentially a natural cellar trying to build something that doesn't require too much energy input so obviously um, you're thinking about insulation there because you know, canberra's quite a hot area so we went down the track looking at straw bales um um, I guess feeling that they're sort of something that is um, fairly easy to grow. Um, you're, you're sort of using something that's um, you're sort of a you know sort of a, 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 a essentially recycled in a way. Um, so we um, we started that, and we um, um, I guess the we needed a set. Essentially, what the idea was to build a cellar here. So we didn't really want to build a, a winery as such. Um, there's a, a, a new old tradition of having great big colourbond sheds where everything's in one room, and but 
because we want to try and keep this cool naturally, so not have to put into any energy into cooling it, we need to make sure that during those summer months and autumn when it's hot here is that we have to keep it away from the winery because the winery is very busy. You know, January, January, February, January through till really end of April, you're quite busy. So, so this is just the cellar. So we're able to store our, um, our oak. Um, we have you know, lots of ceramic and amphoras and um, just trying to do things in a very sort of low-key way. And, mm. and a lot of it's been recycled. A lot of the timber's been recycled from the previous buildings. Um, we've used um, stones that come out of the, um, the Melbourne laneways that were sort of old convict stones just so we had them brought up. And, and, um, and we had some glass left over from bottlings. We used that in the windows to try. Love it. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, so this Bottle is just so windows. It's, yeah. so it's meant to be a really quiet, quiet place. I guess the the feeling here was that you're 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 out your it's its own environment. So the temperature is constant, humidity, the sound it's very quiet in here, a nice sort of smell, sort of like a sort of a sort of a, so yeah. everything about it. And we've only really just finished it, and um, so um, it's again it's um, been a a long process, but we think it's very much what we want to show the world. This, this is all about Ravensworth. We're trying to do things in a very sort of natural way. Yeah, so tell us a bit more about Ravensworth itself. Like, how does this sort of low-key, low-input, low-impact sort of approach manifest across beyond this cellar and mm. into into the vineyards and, and how you make wine? Yeah, so I guess we're, we're, Ravensworth started about 20 years ago and um, originally it was a partnership where my, my family was only a small part of that. I, I had this sort of... I, I come from hospitality background and so I... I was a chef, and I, so I ended up um, going back to school, school studied viticulture and wine science. I, um, I stayed at home and raised the, helped raise the kids while my wife went out and earned money to pay for this, <laughs> <laughs> which she's still doing. <laughs> so um, I guess we... Um, so we were only a very small part of it, and we ran a couple of vineyards, and there was, there was other people involved that were sort of in for different reasons. But so it wasn't until 2012 that we managed to get the point where we bought out the other partners that were involved in it. And since then, we've been able to sort of change what we wanted about it. So we started emerging what, what I wanted to do in wine. I didn't necessarily want to be, um, I guess, because I'd worked at Clonakilla for a while, then um, my partners always thought, great, you know, we, we, work, we work at Clonakilla, we'll make a Shiraz on your we'll kill it um, <laughs> and obviously that's not the case you can't sort of think what, what Tim and Clonic Hiller did was something that's quite unique you can't sort of you can't mimic that so I guess I just started uh, once it was a sale I started thinking the idea I, the idea of that fall, I guess falls back to that the, the, the chef background is that or cooking background is that you, you love the idea of experimenting you know I, re- I really liked experimenting so we started making more and more Different styles of wine and natural wines are only just sort of touched on, touched back, 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 sort of, you know, about ten years ago. I was just starting to see more of them around, and um, and most a lot of winemakers were very cynical about them, as I possibly was. So in 2013, I said, "Let's, I'm going to make an, I'm going to make a skin contact white." <laughs> We've been playing our skins a little bit in the winery, and it wasn't sort of um, too far away. But I, I made I modelled a wine on this, on like things like a Gravner, you know, this sort of um, high-end skin contact wine and um and we didn't think it was going to work and we just put all these grapes in a tank and just left it and didn't touch it so I, our whole idea was that i'm not going to intervene here at all and so um later that year we all the all the winemakers i'd worked with um, had gone back to where they came from and when i got that wine out of tank and pressed it i couldn't believe how it looked it was the first time we, we called it the seven months which is that, that was the time on skins and that wine really changed 
how I felt about wine. Like, I don't necessarily need to be doing too much here. How, how, can, you, how can you make a whole range of wines? Not, I don't want to make all the wines on skins, obviously, but I learned a lot of lessons from that. So really from then, we just stopped using any additives. So we stopped acid adjusting. We never really did that much anyway. I mean, Clonacil is quite, I'd say, quite a wine, a wine that doesn't use too much sort of technology and that, but we do. So we just started to make, um, and, a, and a bigger range, so I started playing with lots and lots of varieties. 2012, I made three different wines, maybe four. Now we're making sort of 18 wines from 25 varieties, 30 now, include this year. So that idea of experimenting, make lots of small batches, started playing around with, um, with um, ceramics and getting away from using sort of old oak and started buying larger format barrels, sort of that more long-term oak, sort of a bit more than the European tradition. And um, so as, as, I, as I started playing with more and more varieties, things like Nebbiolo and um, Pinot Gris and Gamay, I just started learning about sort of different techniques in making wine. And so we, um, so now the, uh, the idea is to go into vintage here and be able to make all those varieties, but to try and do it without too much um, messing around. We did buy some quite good equipment. Like we, we, we do want to make, because one thing I did learn at Clonakillo is that having good equipment and temperature control is really vitally making good wine. You, know, you can't make good wine in a hot shed yeah no matter what people think about it you can't that doesn't work so so try and have that have, have having good equipment to separate the fruit and ferment and and mature was really important so we invested heavily in these large barrels you see around here and um in concrete tanks and we just bought two anforas from italy last year over here just to just try and just trying to find these things and again it's just stuff that everyone knows about but we've really invested heavily in that time and also started to take longer to make wine so rather than sort of pushing it out within sort of a year started taking two or three years to make wine. So, mm. so, so, so a lot of that was just sort of just a different sort of direction that we took and, and it seemed to work. Like we find that we, um, you know, the brand's going okay and, and people seem to be happy to tr- find something different from me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing that that one little experiment um, on a wine that's now become pretty core range view is kind of... Um, Push you, I think. Do you think that just gave you the the confidence to to experiment more rather than rather than being an eye opener? It was more kind of, well, that worked. What yeah. else can I like, yeah, yeah. play around with? Absolutely, and and it it, um, it flowed on to sort of being. Um, what what else can I try? And we were like we the following year we started playing around with um, you know pet gnats, sort of ancestral mm. style. Um, when we used riesling here, and again, it was something that I had no no idea how to make. You, you don't you don't really learn this at school at wine school. So to basically just learn it from other 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 winemakers. Um, you know, from my time at Clonakilla, we always brought in interns from around the world to work vintage. We normally have two or three, and I just learned a lot from these young. Most of mine are under thirty for, for their visas, so I just learned a lot from these guys that worked all around the world. You know, Europe, um, North America, even into Israel and the Middle East. Mm. Just learned these techniques that was in some ways it felt like I was sort of stepping back in time a bit. I was getting away from sort of stainless steel and just come back towards uh, through oak back through ceramics and and, and clay and that so mm. I, I just very lucky to have these people around so and, and again we just once and once once i started playing around with all these different styles and varieties people seem to find me so people ring up and say i've got gamay you know 2015 the grab and tamarama because i'm gamay you're interested in that of course, mm. <laughs> every winemaker would take gamay, and yeah. um, and so it just, again, it was, just, it, was, it, was, it was luck in that people sort of were interested in, in what I was doing, mm. and, um, and again, following those natural techniques, we, we don't, I, just, I don't really sort of class myself as a natural winemaker per se, but because we do make more classic styles, but we don't do any, and we do we do use preservative in a lot of the wine, not all of them, but a lot of them, but but all the wines are made from 
certainly from our state here, they're, they're, they're naturally grown or, or certified or, or under certification mm. um, fruit, and we don't use any additives. We don't use any of the normal ads, you know, acid adjustments, you know, like yeast and bacteria, enzymes, you know, nutrients. They go on and on all the ads, but we don't use any of that at all. So it's just fruit and whatever yeast they, they ferment on. Once they go into bottle, we, 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 we add a bit of preserve to get them into bottle. Mm. And so it's a very easy technique. We don't, you won't see a lab here. Mm. <laughs> I think that the, I mean, describe as easy, I'm sure as anything, but, but I think um, to make wine in that way, you, you have to have good ingredients. You have to have good grapes. Absolutely. Yeah. So, was the like, kind of awakening of that, maybe like you know, an ancient winemaking technique, did that coincide with you planting varieties you felt would grow better? On your vineyards and regrafting, yeah, 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 definitely. So we we sort of found that, that obviously there was, you know, there was, a, there was a history of what varieties, you know, obviously Shiraz and Riesling were ones that were quite confident grew here. And we did we did have them planted earlier, but really the first varieties that I planted were Sangiovese and Masan. I wanted to try something different. I guess they've. I guess it was a bit more of an emotional feel for those the, the, the wines that I quite liked as I started drinking wine. You know, mm. you know obviously Sangiovese. You know, everyone's been to you know, you've been to Italy. You sat outside the walls drinking Chianti with, with um, cheese and that. So it was something that I, I like the idea of that as a food wine, and um, and that's sort of been the key to a lot of what we've done. Is that we try and make wines that are that are definitely food friendly and, and interesting food. And, and if you've seen our label, you said we've committed to that because the labels definitely have a sort of a food, mm. uh, a sort of a, a larder scene or animal. Th- farm scene so we um we feel really strongly about the, that and the way that fruit is grown I mean, we are our vineyard here is the only one that we do grow under organic conditions um a few of the growers we have are leaning towards that uh, it's a bit of a disappointment in this general area that people aren't sort of fully they should be going towards organics i, I can't believe with you know with what what's um, been going on with the climate is that people aren't thinking more about trying to get these vines to um to look after themselves and, and it's been proven across almost every crop that if you go towards regenerative farming, organic practices, stop using fertilizers and herb and, and pesticides, or minimise them, um, that your 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 production is probably going to waver a bit, but you're going to you're going to be able to have production. Whereas the the droughts broken broke here last. We had a, a very, quite a short three year drought here, but it was so severe. Mm. What it had on, what it, what it did to the land was just like the dams dried out for the first time. Yeah, well, our dam, our dam never been dry before. Last year it was bone dry before it rained. So, I, th- I just don't think it's a, it's a choice. Yeah, I think, I think there's almost enough enough evidence from people who have converted or in conversion and, and the, mm. the results they're seeing, and mm. and even some of the, the larger wineries who are starting to move um, towards organic. You know, people like Tyrrells are, are starting to do that in the Hunter, and it's kind of well, if you can do it in the Hunter with those conditions, that's right. Yeah. Then in Canberra should be should be a no brainer, really. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's something that again you can't. You're not going to be if you're interested in high yields, you're not going to do that. And that's the same across you know, cereal crops and, and all that as well. Is that you got, you're looking at lower crops, but you're looking at more consistent crops and better, a better and better quality. Mm. I, I, do, I do think the quality is is a when when a, a plant grows more naturally, it definitely produces a, a, a better quality um, product uh, fruit. So, mm. yeah. I mean, the same goes for growing vegetables and growing other any any other Absolutely. food and things like that. It's like organic fr- fruit and veg just generally just tastes a lot better. It's just a better product. Yeah. Um, how did like? Do you want to go through then a bit about um, how you manage the land here? How you how how that sort of is manifested in your vineyard and in your practices? Yeah. So, so we. Um, I guess the first thing, the easy thing, the actually the absolutely easiest thing to do was to stop using herbicides. We had been using the um, 
there's, there's a couple around. There's you know, obviously glyphosate's the main roundup. What they call it is, is the one most people use because it's 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 pretty effective. Mm. Um, like it kills really well. Um, so once we stopped using that, I had to get um, get um, really up close and personal with a brush cutter. So you sort of find <laughs> it. And again, we we came from a small base. But, you know, back when we when we um, finally owned the business, so we weren't making much wine. We probably made about 800 cases in that for, for that um, 2000. And um, 12 vintage if, if that so we didn't have a huge amount of capital but so to, to, to invest in it but as we come along we started buying equipment so we so so the herbicides were were easy to give up as were um, um, fertilizers so you just you start use them and I and I and, and any what I mean is any fertilizers I, I don't when people say I've got an organic fertilizer to me that's that's doesn't make sense because you, you should be able to grow everything on the property occur, occur naturally yeah, as well. yeah yeah I think it should grow here like I'm not really um, that caught up in biodynamics but at the core of biodynamics is the idea that you don't bring anything in you grow yeah. it all here which I, which I, which I really believe it's in the funny thing about biodynamics is it's it's a bit woo but then there is <laughs> oh, yeah, some yeah. science backing oh, yeah. it up and when you, when you sort of learn the science behind it you're like do they yeah. just luck upon that or is it, I mean, it, but it's kind of built up knowledge yeah, at the time yeah, that's right. that, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's kind of ancient science as it were yeah, yeah that's right so, it's, so it's, it's, it's sort of fairly easy to, um, to I mean I, I, again there's aspects like that I'm not that interested in but there's a lot that I am so so we just started to um, to leave the land alone, and um, and all these all these weeds that we call as we call them that we battle all the time. We tend to embrace them. We, we in some ways we wanted to have a diverse um, lot of plant life amongst the vineyard. Because the worst thing about a vineyard, when you look at a most people's idea of what a vineyard looks like, it's you know it's, you're seeing it in all these ads, you know, beautiful vines, grass down the middle, nothing under the vine. You walk down there with your partner with a picnic, picnic rug and a basket. Whereas my idea of a vineyard is something that you don't want to go down there because it's pretty wild. There's <laughs> 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 probably life. There's, there's yeah. like, there's that, that, like out here, there, I mean, there, there are snakes and there are some, <laughs> there's, there's echidnas, there's turtles. It becomes a bit more of a, okay, what, what's out there? So I, 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 I see a vineyard more like a garden than a, um, a lawn. And I think they're, they're quite different things. It's, it's um, sort of um, agriculture versus horticulture. Mm. Um, so we, so then I guess we started to um, look at the what was going under the ground there. Obviously, organics. The idea of organics so you're trying to get more organic material in the soil. The problem with these these land here that had had even before us, it had been grazed uh, by um, probably by sheep and cattle. And all of that just compacts our soils. Mm. The, the soils around here aren't, aren't meant for pressure on them. So we, um, I learned a lot from uh, um, the people from Terra Peter Truffles that down at Braidwood, um, P- Peter and Kate. Um, they're, being, they're good friends and I, I met them back when I was in, involved in food and I got to know their truffles really well. And, but his practices, the, the practices he uses to, to set up a, 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 um, a truffery are the same that we should do for a... Um, for any crop, is that you're trying to first of all get rid of any compaction. So we use this special plough called a yeoman's plough, which is an Australian invention. That's this lovely old-fashioned um, chisel, what they call a chisel plough, and it, it basically lifts the soil up. So as you plough behind that behind the tractor, it actually lifts the, lifts the ground up a bit and allows for air to get down. Where there's no air, there's no life. Mm. So people, when we talk about organics, there's no organics down a foot if unless there's air down there. So. We have, and we have got quite good soils here. We've got a really nice sort of um, mixture of soils here, so we we can grow we can grow things quite well here. Just to kind of get rid of that compact, because in vineyards you, you you can't be we're stuck with driving up and down the same row 
on, the, on a tractor all the time. So every time you do that, you compact in. And because they're clay cells, so essentially what you're making is ceramic. The more you compact it, <laughs> pressure, you get ceramic. Yeah. <laughs> so Amber it's, clay. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Cups naturally. Uh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Dig yeah. 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 out of the ground. Exactly, exactly what you have <laughs> underground there. Yeah. So, um, so we started to use this yeoman's plough to get rid of the compaction. We, we, we sold all our heavy tractors and bought these little Italian tractors. That um, again, as, as we started to get more money in the, in the bank, we spent most of it in in in, in the vineyard, and um, so and then we we actually cultivate the topsoil as well to try and get um, to, rather than mow, we try and turn this unless we have to. We ter- try and turn the soil over with um, like a. Uh, what they call a power harrow, so it actually just—it's like a twisting action. It, that sort of—it's like you, like you, you put a uh, put a, um, a piece of rock in the ground, tip, tip it over. So you try not to break the grass up so much. When you mow, you mow, you mow it really fine, and, and most of that carbon goes up into the air. It just rots into the air. So mm. if you let it rot upside down, you're more likely to get more carbon down there. And also, we started again. This is from um, Peter Peters. He he brought over an extra retort from England years ago to have made in Australia, and they actually do make them here. It's a place. It's a, it's a it's actually an oven for for making charcoal. Uh, you make about a ton at a time. He brought one over, had a prototype made, couldn't sell it. We bought it. My wife and I. We, again, we, it, was, it was it was quite expensive. We thought, no, I, I want to get carbon in the soil. So we, all the trees that were that are in the area, um, we we collect the wood during um, during summer, stockpile it. All the cuttings, we stockpile those. Then in winter, we do these burns. And so we tr- and that carbon goes back out in the vineyard and it does a few things. First of all, it's, it's sequestering carbon. We don't get any credit. We can't get any credits for this, which is a bit unfortunate, but we are putting carbon in the soil. But what we do in that is it works as well in the soil. It gives a stable carbon point where nutrients, moisture, um, uh, microbes have a cha- place to be. Because you, you imagine um, charcoal, the surface area is huge charcoal it's an amazing matrix inside mm. there and it's really important for soils because vines come from forests so they're used to having these sort of things and what, what happens there if i do all this we're trying to get these vines to actually for their mycorrhizae system which all plants have which is like their um, a fungus that lives inside their roots starts to reach out and starts to um, um, connect with the other plants in the area and obviously, if you've got, got a lawn in the area, there's nowhere to go because lawns are very, if you mow, you've only got very short roots. So we try and let the grass grow long. We've tried to um, introduce or reintroduce the natural grass that we're in the area, so the, the um, weeping grass and kangaroo and wallaby grasses, um, which can grow quite readily here. Um, we've also started planting some um, out there some um, vegetables. So we plant plant a lot of um, chicory out there. Chicory is a species you all know it as radicchio and that, but it has an amazing root system. We when we we, we eat it as the juvenile plant, but if you let it grow, it'll grow for years and years. But it grows this root system like a tap root that's probably about sort of two feet underground, mm. like a great big daikon. If you imagine imagine a daikon, yeah, well. it's like that. And you imagine what that does when that when that when that plant dies off. Or you, or you just not use, you roll it over. As that breaks down, it's an amazing amount of carbon that's in the soil there. Mm. And get that back to biodynamics. Chicory is really high in silica as well. So you actually, you actually, you are introducing silica, which is very much part of the biodynamics sort of calendar. By not by you know sort of having to throw it around, it just it's just growing on these roots. So we plant lots of um, when, in our in our in our vegetable garden here. We've got, you'll see over there we're growing things for seeds. We're trying to get these things to collect our own seeds, mm. and we just go. With it. We've got a little pouch. We don't spread around along with things like clovers and lucerne, things that are going to have a bigger root system that's set 
um, nitrogen from the air, which is obviously important for plants. So we're so we are, we're trying to grow, in, grow this really diverse um, vineyard, and um, and even last year at the end of the drought, our, our vineyard here um, still had quite good growth. It looked a bit weird because those, those plants were higher in the vineyard than the vines, but through all that, we think they recovered quite well. We had quite good pruning weights in winter, and they're and I was just out and thinning out in the vineyard today, and they, they bounced back really well from that. And I, I put that down to having open soils, soils yeah. that allow carbon and microbes and nutrients to stay in the system. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be more and more important in the future with, with climate change. And, Absolutely. and the things that are going to happen is, is having, and I mean, again, it's something I've... <clears throat> For me, it seems quite obvious, but it doesn't seem spoken about in Australian wine so much. Is is, is the you know, water such a precious resource here? Mm. Um, and people don't talk about you know, it's, it's an organic vineyard or it's, it's a natural wine. It's mm. very rarely this is a you know an unirrigated vineyard. Yeah, you yeah. never really see that on on labels or bottles. Yeah, when yeah. that that seems like mm. <clears throat> that should be one of the more important things that we're talking about. Yeah, well, I think the way you've shown um, how to grow vineyards at um, at that university, you know, certainly where I went to, is that. They they t- they tell you all the all the chemicals to use. Yeah, and, yeah, right. And as soon as you and as, and as soon as you use them, you have to irrigate them. Yeah, yeah. Because you stop you stopping the vine from growing anywhere. Yeah, it's like it's like if, if you're if you're trying to grow an oak tree or nut tree for truffles, the, if you put, if you fertilize the soil, you won't get truffles. Yeah, the tree doesn't need it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So well, it's, it's interesting you got inspiration from truffle farmers when when their whole business is kind of from the soil down. That's right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And most of the time when you're talking about wine, it, it's you're talking from the soil up, yeah. and you're talking about you know the, mm. the grapes and the, the canopy yeah. and, and the vines rather than yeah. the, the most important thing and the kind of foundations of them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I mean I care more about what's going to grow. I don't you know as far as what how you trellis your vines, how you prune them. Well, I, I, I think they they have a there's, there's, there's some. Um, logistical things that are important there, as far as like, like you know, better trying to minimise disease by having nice open canopies and actually being able to get a tractor in there, because essentially you know you, you do have grapevines do come with this endemic um, this, um, fungus, so you, you do have to mm. spray them. But um, you certainly can minimise if if you've got a diverse area where you grow your vines. Is that you're more likely to, and, and, and everything's still there. Like all, all the microbes are there, all the insects are there. You're not sort of wiping out everything each year. Is that they're more likely to, to get to a point where they'll they'll get at this sort of equilibrium. Everything's, everything's happy. Yeah, and, yeah. And but again, and again, you, you, you won't grow big crops, but like we only we probably get about you know one and a half, two tons of the acre here. But it's it's good fruit. And we don't have to do we don't we don't have to do much spraying and um, and we're hoping that it all sort of looks after itself you know mm. or, or if there's a pest out there there's a predator they'll look after it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay, um, that's a great a great introduction to what you're doing here. But we've got like so much more that we can be talking <laughs> about as well. There's who knows how long this one can go for. Um, I guess maybe the one thing to w- worth touching on before we go into some of the issues of the last 12 months mm. is your time at Clonakilla. Mm. And so you were the winemaker there for how long? I st- I, my first vintage there um, was 2004. Yeah. So when I started there, it was a ver- just a very small team. It was Tim, his parents, and, and Michael, who was a sort of, um, who still works there, was, a sort of, sort of was, was doing all the vineyard work. So it was a very small team there in the old cellar, small winery. So it was... Um, but I went there because I, I was working at another place that was doing some um, doing some contract winemaking, and I was I hadn't I'd, I'd come up to finishing my degree, and I guess I wasn't all that happy making with what the wine you know making wine for other people. I mean, I, we, when we started, we, we, our vineyard hadn't produced fruit then, but I'd started buying a bit of fruit just to play around with our own wine. So um, 
so when Tim asked me to come and work with him, um, it was a it was a, it was a really good opportunity because there weren't many full time jobs. I wasn't actually doing this for for a job. I was doing this because I just wanted to. I don't know, just wanted to grow. Mm. Like, grow, grow yeah, primarily, I wanted to grow first and, and make one second. And um, so to get that that role there was great. And um, and we went from 2004. It was probably about a 90 ton crush to you know the heights of couple you know the last couple of years, sort of averaging probably 250, 270 tons, making wines go over the world. Mm. Um, but all that from just Tim's. You probably know the story, but but just that's that him and his family just trying something different. Mm like committing to Shiraz, Cool Climate Shiraz, and just putting that little bit of Viognier in there just changed their story. And honestly, they, they, in mid-90s, they were a very tiny little business and Tim up, uprooted his family from his teaching role down in Melbourne to come back. To, it was a really brave thing to do. But in some ways, that's sort of for me, that moment that Tim had in sort of um, in the early 90s was for me what, hap- what happened for me, sort of that sort of... Yeah, about eight, seven, eight years ago, I was like, okay, there's another way of doing this, and, mm. and um, so I, I, I was obviously working with Tim, and I mean, it's, it's a lovely family, and you know, we're good friends, and um, you know, so I was sort of about 16 vintages I did there, and, and and grew the, helped grow the brand, and um, and it's almost unrecognisable from what it was as mm. far as the the, the, the the property, and they own all the land around it now, and. But it was just um, inspiring to sort of see how they did it very slowly. Mm. Like they didn't when, by about two thousand and four when I started there. They were, they were getting they were, they were well known, you know. They were, they, were, they were on the cusp of, you know, within about two years after then they were sort of up there with the top wines in the country. They'd mm. been they were known all of a sudden, and um, but they didn't they didn't go to their head and they just sat, sat about there growing the growing the vineyard. Yeah, you know, it was all, always vineyard based, and um, yes, yeah, so it was a great experience. I um I you know I um. I was really happy, happy there, and Tim allowed me to. From the start there, when I started there, was the idea that can I make start making my wine here? Yep, yep. So let me let, let me do that, yep. and um, it it, grew, it it was sort of it stayed sort of plateaued for quite a few years. But then when we started to to need to make more to be able to fund what we wanted here, because it was nice and all making a few hundred cases of wine, but it's not really it's, it's a hobby. Mm. <laughs> the point there, <laughs> to be a business. It's did like, you did you find when you first started making Ravensworth wine, people sort of had did anyone have an expectation that it'd be more traditional style like Clonakilla and and they were expecting just sort of another iteration of Clonakilla yeah, and it, it, oh yeah they, they were <laughs> they, they were and, and our, our partners did as well and um, I guess I, I guess that was never really comfortable for me but um, but mind you you know I guess we we, we did grow Shiraz and Viognier so we, in, and I those, those the reason I got to know Tim was because I, I got those cuttings from his father you know, yeah in winter so I collect the cuttings to plant to plant here so I um. It, it was certainly in my mind that I, I wanted to do um, that, but I guess it was more for me working at Clonakilla as opposed to working with um, it, with as, as a as a contractor where you see fruit from all around the place. Is that the fruit quality there was just um, amazing? From mm. the, I remember when it first came in, I thought, "Wow, look at this fruit! Mm. This, this looks like amazing fruit." So, so I think that that for me sort of showed you how important the um the crop was i think um finding your own story sort of came a bit later but um but yeah i, I did think that um what being involved in that and the growth and we bought as we brought new products on and expanded and expanded i do think um this idea of taking your time to do it working with good fruit was really important um and so um yeah so i, I guess i was able to um 
I wasn't necessarily involved in the, in the viticulture there, but um, as, 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 a, as a, I, mean, I did a degree in viticulture, I was able to actually sort of extrapolate things we're doing there and, and start doing it here. Getting, I guess getting more natural here um, was something that I was sort of a bit more driven by and our partners weren't interested in it. But um, when it was ours, we, we did it straight away. Mm. And, um, and, that, and that, was, that was really important. I think the, 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 way, the, um, the way the brand's going now, it, it's definitely seen as a, um, as a brand that is um, experimental but sort of fairly... Um, the, the, the land, you know, the, how things are grown are just as important as how we make them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Ravensworth as a brand is, is fairly unique because it's one of those ones where it's very much respected across the board. Um, like it will be in the you know, hips and natty wine bars yeah. and in more traditional restaurants yeah, and things yeah. like that. And that, that's that's quite hmm. quite a tough kind of line to manage. Yeah, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, it seems to be these two two separate sort of wine cultures in, in in Australia. And I think it definitely success in some sort if you can kind of transcend across both. Yeah. Um, okay. As we said, plenty more to talk about. And um, I guess the big first issue of uh, this year of well, 2020, the tail end of um, 2019 were the fires and smoke taint. Um, yeah, Brian, maybe just tell us a bit about sort of that experience and mm. um, and like I mean Canberra was the smokiest place in Australia for a, cum- a, cu- a couple of weeks. Mm. I, I was here for a little while just after New Year's and it was it was like an apocalypse. Just the smoke. And there was no one. I couldn't even go out. Mm. And so um, yeah, how did you how did you sort of begin to manage that? And as you sort of mentioned before, like we kind of didn't know too much about smoke taint before mm. the mm. events of the summer. So that's right. Yeah. So we um, I guess for us it was the um. Like a lot of New South Wales, is the tail end of um, of a pretty severe drought. Like the, the like we had didn't have hadn't didn't have any any rains in winter for three years, and that's normally when we get the rains here. So this year's been much more normal. Like in, in you know, a few inches of rain each month. So so the whilst there wasn't anything to burn around us, there was no grass anywhere. So the the, the fires in our area weren't that considered at higher risk. I mean, um, grass fires are can move fast and can certainly burn vineyards but um once the once the first fire started which was down towards um, to, um near, near braidwood normally what happens in canberra is that um you know we call it, we call it cool climate and as you know if you know in canberra it's raw and hot here in, in summer but we get this cool night still uh, it's our elevation also we get a southerly um change from the south coast which is only 100 kilometers away um, that comes in each night. So we this, it's almost like you, each night you turn the air conditioner on. Mm. And you feel it coming. It can, it can be like 38 degrees. And then you, you, and, and you, just, you just feel, feel the change, open the windows up. And it's like you turn fans on and this cold, cool air comes in. Unfortunately, that this year, because a lot of the fires were on the coast, that brought smoke each time. So by mid-December last year, we had our first sort of smoky, day, smoky days. It obviously got worse than those, but... Um, it was it was apparent that these fires were um, that 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 those those um, that nightly breeze would um, was going to bring smoke each night. And I remember we're, we're out we're out walking out. My wife and I walking out on the property with our dogs, and um, it was a sort of a it was a warm warm evening, and it was quite clear. And we just watched this. You could see it coming from up from the east. This like a wave coming in. And there was a smoke coming. Within about two or three minutes, we're covered in smoke, and you couldn't could hardly see. Mm. And sometimes that smoke stayed, if it was still, still that smoke would stay around for a couple of days and blow off. But obviously by New Year's, that got much worse. The fires were much more um, into, into deeper woods and, um, and, and then they kept, on, kept, they kept going. Like we had fires um, then to the, to the 
um, west of us in Tumbaramba, um, tumid area, and then um, to the south at Namadji. So for for a good six weeks, this the place was smoky, and um, by mid January, um, obviously all us producers were starting to um, read about smoke taint because um, whilst areas had had smoke taint before, plenty of them, you know, you know Tasmania the previous year, but. They were all, most of them were fires that happened sort of toward, around vintage, so the fires that were close when the fruit was ripe. People didn't really know about f- smoke, um, long-term smoke, also early smoke. So it was, it was b- between the time of flowering, so December and what we call veraison, which is where the vine starts to, um, the grapes start to ripen, is that that period there, they were covered in smoke the whole time. And the th- the theory was that it was too early and that smoke would be somehow um, metabolized in the fruit and, and mm. but, it, but it wasn't so we um by the time we, we started testing once once you got a bit of sugar there you start testing because basically the smoke the smoke compounds adhere to the sugar molecules in the grape and the the first member of the first samples came in and they were like to give you an idea about smoke taint is that they talk about these six compounds and they talk about the the, the free and bound versions of them but you're talking about a, a smoke tainted um wine having somewhere between 20 and f- um, 50 parts per million of these compounds um, our first measurements were around about sort of um, you know 200 300 mm, yeah. and they went all up to about sort of up to 1200 so off the scale mm. and um, so we I guess for us we you know I guess I was um, a bit of a realist I, I started looking for fruit elsewhere earlier but by about February, everyone was starting to do that. And, and once we once we had enough to start fermenting, we started. Okay, you can measure these compounds. What happens? So you you, you go pick a um, a couple of buckets of grapes and and just get them fermenting. And this, the the aromas that came off them were just awful. And even when we got through to um, so once most of the producers said not going to make any wine, you still had this sort of back thing thing back ahead. Like maybe you should make some. See what happens. So <laughs> so over at Clonakilla, we did we, we made a, we made a couple of um, a couple of batches and. <laughs> I got to say, if skins were involved in the ferment, so i.e. reds, it was just um, the, the 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 worst thing you've ever tasted. <laughs> it, I, I reckon the body reacted to it like it's a poison. You know, imagine, you know, you imagine like bitterness and stuff. It's meant, meant to be a bit of a trigger for us. Mm, yeah. You know, um, but um, th- these things, you you'd smell them and, and you recall they tasted they tasted poisonous. So um, yeah, wow. So um, the call to not make fruit was a good one, and, and as, as you said, Paul, Canberra's the worst of it. You know, the, mm. Obviously, lots of areas had it: Hunter Valley, Orange. All the way through the central ranges, there was smoke everywhere. Um, but Canberra and probably a, bit, a little bit more so Tumbarama because they had, had that late, later fire mm. there. It was just um, it was just too, there was no choice really yeah. to make. I, I haven't heard of anybody that knocked together a wine and said, "Wow, it's, it's okay." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. even even when it when it um, had been dealt with, like when you made a wine and without skins like a it, it, everything just seemed toned down and, and dull and um so i think um i mean obviously everyone needs to make their own choices but the problem that we had as a producer was that if you did make wine and, and bottled it how are you going to sell it then as well because the, mm. the wine industry is very switched on I mean, the soms and retailers and the general public that spend a bit of money on wine so we're not trying to sell cheap wine here but they, they get onto it really quickly i remember with the 2011 um vintage was a very very wet one for us it was very, even though we made did make some wine last year, it was very hard to sell. People, mm. people switched on to okay, it's it's a, it's a wet, it's a weak year, and yeah, and, and the higher you go up the, the food chain with the, the, the with the um, and they're gonna make 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 that call quite early on when they haven't really seen what a wine. And it, it, some mm. 
bad vintages from some regions have mm. produced some some excellent wines down idea. the road. So yeah. it's, it's but it is a very early call, and it mm. kind of as a mm. wine buyer, you do sort of go, oh, the sixteen wasn't as good as the seventeen, and it seems like the eighteen shaping up. Maybe I'll skip a vintage, especially with sort of more expensive wines. Yeah. And it is it is a decision you make yeah. when when there's a lot of choice in Australia mm. with what wine you buy. So it's a tough one, but definitely. Mm. Um, with a lot of people calling it quite early yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was you know it was a bold move maybe an honest one but i possibly had some might have some effects for some regions who did manage to produce a bit that's of that's right yeah we certainly said that in hunter valley because i know tools called called earlier there and um and right rightly so i mean i remember talking with um chris up there and they um you know they they were seeing again it varied a bit more up there and certainly people have produced wines from this vintage that are out now that I say not affected, mm. but um, you know, Canberra didn't have that benefit. It was it was it was, it was really bad here. Yeah, we shut it down. And um, and even for hilltops, of um, I think some more wine was made from hilltops. But I, I, and I haven't really tried any yet. But I again, everyone needs to make their choices. But because in our process of making wine, we've because of our, my techniques, I use skins and everything. That's so, kind of the worst part yeah, when you get smoked. The, the skins were the worst part. So I'd have to change the way I make wine or every wine. Um, if I was to make wine this year, and I, I and I wasn't prepared to do that, and it was a big conversation with the growers because obviously it's a, it's, they don't have the choice that obviously we because we value add we have wines from the previous years to help us. So um, I guess we're just hoping they have a little bit bountiful this year. This mm. year. we're back buying fruit from everyone, and and and, and, um, and um, yeah. So yeah. So I mean, we're sitting here and looking at some of the chalk on these barrels. Um, how did you end up? Yeah, what did you end up? getting and where did you source your grapes yeah so i i, I um i want to get far away from here as possible because everywhere it seemed <laughs> like it was smoky like even the south stripes that had those dreadful fires in the um, Adelaide hills and kangaroo island and um northern victoria and um and so we just want to get far away as possible so i, I just i just rang up um a friend of mine uh, jo- josephine perry who's um has dormalona wines in margaret river i just rang her up really just to sort of cry on her shoulder you know so i was and um and she she had quite a dramatic sort of um reaction she goes oh we we, we got to um we got to find this fruit mm. so um so within about a week she'd found this fruit from from a vineyard in the swan valley and once i had that it was only, it was only like about four four or five tons say say of each she started finding small parcels in some some shed and block in the market river and, and also okay where i'm going to process so, so she a friend of hers um um, um, runs the the winery at um, McHenry Hone, and so we found a place to ferment it. Okay, a little bit of wine, not not a huge amount, but then other people started popping up from you know Great Southern. So a- Andrew from La Violetta had a bit of Gewurz, that um, extra what he needed from a cool vineyard in Franklin River. Got that, and then Robert um, cast rocks. Said, oh, I've got a bit of Pinot and a bit of Riesling to have, and I can I can make it here. So um, we. So this this is still this is still February, and because it's an early vintage there, this, 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 the choice will come up. Like the, the Gewurz, I was given like twelve hours to decide to take it. <laughs> We're harvesting now. <laughs> Do you want it? So okay, where 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 is Franklin River? I've never <laughs> been there. <laughs> Where's Prongaruff? I don't know where yeah, they're yeah. <laughs> So we um it was a bit of a leap of faith, but um so we end up um, um committing to it, and um the same time we um in Tasmania um. Again, another another friend down there, Ricky Evans, who um, runs Two Ton Tasmania. We'd been talking about making a bit of wine together. I want to th- throw some Shiraz and Pinot together. So we'd he'd earmarked some Pinot from a new vineyard of his down there, and um, so we had three tons of Pinot earmarked. So he he he, he very um, uh, he, he made made that for us down there as well. And 
So then once they were all made, we had all this wine all over the place and then I had to get it back here. It's, yeah. it's not the easiest task to, I mean, to get wine from the Poronga up, um, mm. um, Denmark, Market River and Tamar back here wasn't easy. So we, um, so we, I got, I got, we got by May, we had it all in, in um, thousand litre tanks and all moved back here. So a little bit of the blending had to take place back, back then. But So once, we got, once the truck arrived here... And Ricky's arrived just a bit after them. We I had sort of fourteen thousand litres of um, you know, Trebbiano and Grenache from Swan Valley, Gewurz from Franklin, Shannon Blanc from Margaret, two Pinots. So we um, I started even before the wine arrived. I'd started thinking about what I want to do with those wines. Um, first of all, we wanted to come up with a different label. I didn't want to put these under our current labels. We have to, we have an estate label and a, a regional label. I wanted to make sure there's a distinction because I, I really didn't make these. Now, I guess I influenced them mm. in that we talked we talked about it so we come up with a new a new label and in fact these, these have just been bottled this is so called the long, the long way yeah we're drinking it now yeah, the long way long long way around so <laughs> the idea was this long way around it was the bushfires and also with the pandemic i was i, I was able to go over to while we we're fermenting to go over to margaret river to see and see see them on the way back it all just fell apart. In fact, I, I was pretty sure on the plant back that I that I had the I had the virus. I went oh back, <laughs> and um, and pretty well everything was shut down by, by, by about a week after this. Whenever it was shut down, so I couldn't get mm. back there then. So yeah. West Australia closed down pretty quickly. Tasmania closed down. But okay, <laughs> it was wine that we're buying <laughs> and having it back here. So um, so and that and that, and that was the the idea of the label was okay this was a this was an interesting logistical task mm. so i've got accounts with shipping companies and train lines and truck companies <laughs> yeah right. it's fantastic <laughs> it's really really great it's a beautiful label yeah i mean and a great a great little story of, of people helping each other out oh, yeah. in times of need and, and getting getting things done um under this pressure and a bit of executive winemaking from yourself i want to i want to um, read that can i read the label i'm going to read i'm going to read this little story on the ra- label brian so people yeah. can can listen to it from over 5,000 kilometres they came across both the Nullarbor and Bass Strait. Five trucks, one train and a boat carrying eight varieties from five regions to finally reach home, Murrum Bateman. You might say the long way around. We knew early our fruit was toast from bushfires. Many friends from far and away offered us fruit and processing space, so we scratched together an eclectic mix of new esoterica. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Fantastic. What a story. What a, that's the story of 2020, yeah, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it kind of sums it up, suits it. In some ways, you know, it was, it was, it was expensive. Well, it cost more to obviously do all this, the transport and... and um, and you know, essentially paying other winemakers to, mm. to, to, to make when you can do it yourself. But um, it, in some ways it just gave us that we needed to, and, and Jocelyn um, really want, wanted this, we need to have a different story than we were smoked out. I went on holiday, sort of thing. You know, yeah. So, yeah. So, and, and and obviously we had lots of vessels here. So you know, having, having them empty is not a great thing. Um, mm. So we wanted to do something. And uh, we were very lucky, honestly, we were very lucky to find that. Because I know by about sort of, Late February, you could not find fruit anywhere because mm. everyone from New South Wales, including the yeah. Hunter Valley, were going everywhere to find it. You know, yeah, it, it just got people just again for the same reason they wanted something to do. And you know, winemakers are you know this, this is our time. It's like um, like you're like in a kitchen, Simon. Yeah, yeah. And you got no food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, I know, what, I, I know, I know exactly what you feel like. <laughs> just chomping at the bit. That's right. Yeah. Especially yeah, when I mean you know, winemaking is a very kind of patient thing for all the year. Yeah, yeah. Of and yeah, uh, yeah. now we're going, now and you don't going, have that yeah, jump. Right, you're like. Yeah. So what do I do with myself? Yeah. Logistics. I'm yeah. now a logistics expert. 
Yeah. And uh, so you actually, and you actually did find a purpose for some of your smoke tainted grapes. Yeah, again, it was um, it was a, it was a friend who um, who worked on a solution. Um, we'd sort of um, earmarked this fruit day in West Australia, and I'd, I'd, I took my sons up to um, to Sydney to go to a concert up there, and I went and saw a friend of mine, Topher. Um, he runs Wildflower Brewery in Marrickville. We'd, we'd played him a bit of, bit of um, fruit beer before. I mean, the, the, his beers are always quite intriguing to me. They're sort of that. Um, the sort of sour, sort of lambic style beers, but then he starts in summer. He uses all these wonderful fruits, so he's raspberries and apricots and stone fruit, and and he started. We started using grapes as the base for that um, the, in the previous vineyard. So we, we did some gamay maceration for him, and we did some skins for Viognier, and we'd we'd use some musket leaves from his old barrel. So I went, went, went just went just went and had um had. Uh, Dinner with a late dinner with him, and I was, again I was telling about how we weren't going to make. You know, and it was quite. He goes, "Okay, let's try and make some beer out of it." He'd made some in twenty eighteen. I think he'd made some fruit from smoke tainted beer from orange when they had the fires up there. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing that. Um, so he, he, and, and obviously, smoking beer is a different beast to smoking wine. They're, they're different chemically. They're different beverages. Obviously, um, beer is lower in alcohol. Doesn't have the phenolic structure, mm. the phenolics that you have in, in wine. I'd, I'd never try it, and there are actually beers that are promoted as smoke, smoky beers, and, and the, the malting process ultimately is a smoking process. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's not an unusual thing to have smoke in, in but, but this or even to have things that are, that are seen as like negatives in wine to be positives in beer, like, like yeah. things like like bread, which you know, mm. is, is a, can be a positive. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so he, um, so he, he flipped the menu over where we're at, and. Um, and we started, what, what do you got? And he started doing something in his head. He, had, he, was, he, was gonna, he hadn't talked, spoken to his, his, his um, business partner at that point there, but he, he was pretty sure he came over the line. So we decided that we were going to make, um, use um, the fruit from here to make a couple of different, to make, first of all, a range of beers that we're going to make down here, which is the idea that you macerate, so like, 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 um, my understanding of the, the, the beer making process with fruit is that you macerate the fruit for a while to get it on the process of breaking down. You almost start in the rotting process, so mm. you get breaking down the enzymes. So for us, we do it under carbon, carbon dioxide. So, so that's what we don't want volatility there. So we do, it. and that's essentially the way you make sort of when people talk about carbonic macerated wine, we just hold um, fruit under gas for a couple of weeks to get, get, get soften the skin, the, 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 the juice colours up if it's a red variety like Gamay. And you start that you start in the process already, and um, so you do that with the fruit, and then you just put um, beer on top of that. So the beer is obviously made elsewhere and partially fermented. I learned a bit about beer making is that so it's basically it's gone through the the first part of the ferment, which is basically fermenting out the maltose, mm. and um, but there's still starches there that are, that are unfermented. So that was actually we brought it down here, put them on top of the macerated fruit, and um, so went through its secondary ferment on the skins. Um, another way Topher makes beer, which is the way he's made most of his um, Saint range, the little, little half bottles, is that he puts mature beer on top of macerated fruit. Slightly different type of beer, but um, both, both, both are they're, they're similar results. But um, So he took back some fruit from here to Sydney to do some small batches of that, but the bulk of it here, and so we're talking about sort of, um, well, you see all the tanks at the front there, there's mm. sort, of somewhat, sort of over 8,000 litres of beer we've made here this year. Yeah, right. And we actually just racked it off the other day. So Toph was down. We drain it back off. So it's all to go back up to Sydney. It'll be blended. So we've got some we've got some um, un, un, some beer that we just ferment in barrels next to it. So that's like the control. So, so that's just his normal what he's called calls his gold beer. 
and then got these ones that are on um, Riesling, Viognier, Gamay, Sangiovese and Shiraz. So they're all, they're all um, waiting to go back up there. They'll be blended, go into bottle, um, you know, obviously you know, re-ferment it in bottle and they'll be released, uh, I think, sort of next, um, next autumn, sort of March next year. So Cool. Yeah, and and then it's intriguing the smoking beer because some 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 cases you can you don't see certainly the, the heavier the reds where they're heavier fruited you don't see it on the aroma so much but you can see mm. it in the in, in the palate mm. but nothing like nothing like wine to me it's just a pleasant sort of like a like an IPA type character yeah. you've got you've got, you've got a drying sensation there the whites you tend to see a bit more of the smoke in the aroma even though they're made the same way but you don't see it on the palate mm. so so um. Again, you know, we're still it's still a bit of a leap of faith, and it's and it's mm. not it's not a small amount of beer we're making, but yeah, um, but and we and we we do want it to ex- express the condi- we we do want people to see that smoke there to to experience because to yeah. me to me it's, it's very much part of um of of the this, of this of the of the the, the wine mm. um, or the grapes and um and yeah I'm 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 really um. And obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll still be involved in sort of. I'm hoping to go up there when we're bottling to look at it and bottle yeah. and um, go through the process. So, um, so next year we'll ha- we, we, we're going to have a bit of a collaboration label here, and um, so again, it just sort of gave us something that was um, the story continued a bit more, and and to- and wildflower bees do so very well. Um, so, and we're not. We, we guess we, we and, and these are going to definitely promote it. These wines are from smoke effective fruit, yeah. so people going to have them and i'm hoping people will is that they're going to experience something that's quite different um in that it's a beer and it's got a bit of a wine character but there is this sort of hovering smoke character yeah i mean it's very much a, a once in a how often does this happen in australia <laughs> yeah, exactly it's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah hopefully once in a, in a sort of generation but yeah i mean it's, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a one-off event as it were yeah. um that you've made made some booze out of and hopefully it'll be delicious um <laughs> and yeah i mean it's, it's a fascinating story to be able to, to yeah. kind of see well, that well, still, that. One, still one more thing to go here so basically what we're left with now is the, we've got the tanks down in the so we had, we had to do all this separate to the winery so obviously the bit the the, the the um the microflora that you rejoice in in beer making we don't want in the winery yeah, yeah. so the you know so we've we made this in a separate building so um the tanks are still down there with um, the remnants of the beer and the juice in them. So, we don't, we don't, so basically my task at the moment is to, um, to drain the last that off. We probably should have about a thousand litres. We're going to have that distilled and that'll be a whiskey. Yeah, right. <laughs> wow. Amazing. <laughs> and obviously smoking whiskey is a yeah, yeah. cool thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that'll be... Uh, that'll be so, so mind it with... This is how we... So we, uh, we <laughs> where are you doing that? Uh, we're t- I'm trying to... Talk, um, we're, we're working on... Um, 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 Paul Tom's do that in Sydney. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. cool. They're around the corner from Topher and they know, they've done a few things together. Mm. There's some distillers in Canberra that might be able to do it, but I guess... I guess um, that's I'm, a good match. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and there's a Canberra <laughs> connection with Griff as well throughout Port Tom. So, we're so that, yeah, so that's how we end up with these sort of three products that'll come, come out. And if we end up with this sort of funny, funny, smoky whiskey <laughs> at the end, I mean, <laughs> but basically, basically I, mean, I mean, I'll give it away, you know. <laughs> it's, so, yeah, yeah. it's so interesting to think of what the you, you kind of look at the Ravensworth catalogue of products and you've got you go 2018, 19, and then 2020 is <laughs> like, okay, we've got beer, whiskey, and yeah, a bit yeah. of wine from other places yeah. mostly. So, it's, yeah. it's, it's, again, the, the aw- <laughs> awesome thing we've seen is diversity. Um, I don't, uh, uh, my friend Michael Archer from sometimes with Dawning Day has made just made a gin out of his smoke yeah. tainted uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. his grapes as well and yeah. you know people have been trying to you know, make the most of it as it were mm. so I mean that's always um, 
it's it's awesome to see, and it'll probably be awesome to taste. Yeah, uh, along I, the I, way I think as it's well. more, I think it's more, less about sort of you know revenue and profits, more about just doing something. Just yeah, for sure. The, yeah, okay, we've done something <coughs> here. And, yeah, I mean, um, for, for, and, even and, for the sake of doing it, doing it yeah, I think yeah, yeah, it's an experiment. Yeah, all right. Um, we'll start wrapping things up. We'll sort of touch on a few more things before we finish. I think maybe it's worth. I don't know, like being someone who's not as involved, obviously, in the wine industry as, as, as you guys, um, I'm fascinated to know sort of what the status of the industry is like in Australia after this year. Like, as, as you mentioned, as we've mentioned, there's, there's been so many grapes lost and you were saying in February, February this year it was just almost impossible to get grapes to a certain point. Then we've gone through COVID. So we've got a situation where people like logistics would have been a problem for a long time restaurants closed down so um a lot of wines weren't being sold at that level however mm. people were buying a shitload of wine to drink at home mm. um more than ever uh and now we've got this now we've got this export ban into china and things like that which is just throwing a huge another spanner in the works mm. um What's the industry sort of looking like at the moment? Like, have have are things balancing out? Is there is there chaos is, and anxiety? Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, I, th- I mean, I think I, I, at the heart of it all, I think it's it's made. Hopefully, it made everyone think that you need to um, to have a diverse market. You, if, if if you're just selling into one market, whether that be into China or into um, or any, any overseas market, or just into restaurants or just into Retail or just into um, direct sales is that um, th- this year's proven um, that um, that you can it's it's risky to be just in one market. So mm. um, so we um, you know so I, I think there's a, a I think ultimately there's a a, a good feeling in the industry. Um, people did drink a lot. Thankfully, we did. We did. My life didn't change that much because I'm, I'm out here anyway. I don't see on a daily basis that many people, but obviously our kids have been separated from us in, in other states. And um, so it's sort of, um, you know, I guess the um, wanting to, there was, a, there was a, at the core, I think, what, what a lot of people wanted to do with um, was to help, want to buy products to see as supporting the industry so so i think sort of it, it wasn't just people wanting to drink themselves stupid each night i think it was more partly that if you can help someone and feel good about it as well that was that was the bonus that was uh that was kind of kept me going but, well. but i think i think people did reach out to i think um those that were affected by the um the bushfires so the new south wales victoria and and south australia i think um People did try and reach out to those areas that were affected and buy direct. So we did find that we, um, even though our our restaurant um, market obviously disappeared overnight initially, um, luckily restaurants found a way and wine bars found a way through that, and they they were able to con- continue. Um, and but people, we we just the website just started to be you know, the visits to the website started going. We, we don't we don't, we don't operate a cell doors. So we never saw the the change of not having any customers on and what happened when they came back. But um, for us, the um, people were were looking for wine from the area. Mm. And, and so and some people when people ordered the wine, they, there was always notes saying you know sort of reaching out to you. And that's that a, really heartening to see, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. So and I think um, also on the retail level, like the. Um, the place that we sold sold um, wine to, they 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 wanted to help. You know, they were, they were sort of even though we get great support retail wise, and because we're a small producer, we, our wines aren't. You know, we don't deal with the large supermarket chains, but so it's all independence, and 
and they were, they were just wonderful through it all. You know, they really they really wanted to to um you know, how much wine you know, how much they, how much can we sell and um so I think um you know and I think that's crossed the board is that people found that in in, in most areas is that you um people were trying to buy f- direct from the producers. And I imagine it's the same in the food industry as well. That people, you know, I imagine it's probably, it was worse for a food supplier than the wine than, than wine producers because food suppliers had nowhere else to go. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and the knock-on effect from, that's from right. that was, 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 is, is huge and is going to be huge down. Yeah, down yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's way more devastating. I mean, the thing about wine is that even if you don't sell the wine, it's still preserved there in the bottle. So eventually, mm. you can sell it with food. You know, someone someone growing, you know, you know, seasonal crops and regional markets and those sort of things just devastating. And as, soon as, and as soon as we could get back to our regional market, we have a wonderful regional market in Cameron, we, we just started, okay, we just got to buy from these people. That's what we do now. Mm. We just try and buy from them as much as we can. We started, I started buying, you know, I was getting, you know, pork delivered from producers from the country. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just, again, just trying to sort of say, I think it made, I hope people stay on this idea. Well, I think it happened a lot. I think it, in some senses that, it was a great time to be able to, as a home cook to be able to buy stuff because you, you, you get access to all the produce that was you normally get just for chefs. Like you get the best seafood, like yeah, you could have got like Chris Bolton fish like to your to your door from absolutely from, yeah, yeah. from, from you know for yeah. supplies and stuff. So I mean, mm. and that might be something that, that stays with people. And that was kind of some of our chats was mm. hopefully that ethos of of, mm. of mm. spending your money wisely and where you think it should be spent will mm. will carry on across the board. Yeah. yeah, well, that's the thing. I think that like it. I think people in, particularly the food industry, but like people knew that there are issues here, mm. right? And a lot of people, and a lot of people would, a lot of people whose habit was to shop at supermarkets because of convenience would know this probably isn't the, the best choice, you know, environmentally or, you know, it's not the most community focused choice and things like that, but those habits die hard. Mm. And, COVID is something that has emphasised these issues that's really sort of illuminated these issues to people and potentially forced this habit change which will carry through to the future which mm-hmm. is something that hopefully we can sort of get out of it, I guess. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm. yeah, and I think, um, you know, as far as exports go, the, um, you know, it's one of the things where you, we, we just, amongst it all, we, we'd, we'd got our first, um, we'd working towards our first sort of real sort of shipment overseas of exporting well, first time this, this happened it was in March mm-hmm. <laughs> the wine was one was ready from last year ready to go we're going, going to Japan working with a wonderful company over there called KP Orchard and and um, and it just stopped and mm. um, but then they contacted me in um, in May and said okay let's, let's do this so Amongst it all, we, we shipped two pallets of um, of mixed of our wine to Japan. They got there in August. They released them the month later. They sold them out in two days. Yeah, wow. in Japan. Now yeah. there's all these places over in Japan that are that are pouring our wines or selling our wines, and it's just like just amazing. Amongst all this, yeah. we actually, have got wine, our first shipment of wine overseas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, just, it's just sort of um, so unpredictable, <laughs> isn't it? Know, it you is. never know. But I, I guess we, um, so we're, we're quite, we're quite keen to develop that. But we wouldn't, again, you, you don't, you don't want to say, okay, I'm going to send all my wine to Japan now. It's crazy to sort of to, to find my market. And mm-hmm. I guess getting back to Clonic, that's what I was found with Clonic Killer was that even though their wine was in huge demand everywhere, they were very um, careful about where they sold their wine to. Was spread around lots around the industry a lot, so they weren't any, any one market that they were over. So I think that's um, was also um, for us this year made a big difference that we weren't sort of caught up in selling all our wine to restaurants or all our wine to bottle shops or all our wine direct. And mm. so um, 
so yeah, so look, we're just you, know, you, you just drop the vineyard now. Look, I was out, the fruit looks great at the moment. Like there's a there's a good mm. amount of fruit. We're just coming up to flowering. The vines have bounced back so wonderfully. You know, um, from not having to mow at all the last few years, I've been out there three times this year to try to control the growth. Cause yeah. It's growing to a knee. I was saying to Simon on the way down here from Wollongong just then, uh, like as we were sort of coming through Gunning and and those sorts of areas. It's 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 odd to see this region so green. Absolutely, it's it's yeah. it's you know uh, having grown up here and having mm. spent a lot of time in between, mm. you know, up the Hume. It's just mm. it's out of this world, isn't it? Yeah, I guess one thing we should, against, and, and, and this made the difference this year. If, we, if we'd stayed in drought and another dry winter, another you know worrying um, start to vintage, um, it, it would have I think it would have affected us a lot more. But just when it started raining in in, in February. And it's been just consistent rain since mm. then. And to, for us to watch our bare dot dam dry, my kids were back here from um, when, when their universities closed down. It was, uh, and to sit there watching this dam fill up one day was just amazing. Like mm. it was just like we just, we, we, the three of us just stood there watching this water run to the dam. Going, oh. and, it, and it just and again, it, it just changed the feel. And, and, and you know, to, to start off a season, we shouldn't. Um, um, turn off our thoughts to climate change because. The drought we had was really severe yeah. and very short, but like super severe. So that's going to be that's going to happen again. Yeah. And at least the 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 um they talk about a three year drought system in Australia where we have these sort of three and it, it got so dry in those three years that um you know we've got to do everything we can now for the land here and 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 our, our, our crops is to say how are we going to do this without with, if those conditions come again yeah and they will they will come back and this is very restorative this year. You know the the land's very alive, but I, I just think we need to be thinking about our, 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 what's un, going under the ground there and saying, okay, we need to give every opportunity to to be able to maintain good moisture under there, have diverse life under the ground, and um, and yeah, to sort of get away from sort of mm. being reliant on sort of um, chemicals. Mm. What do you think? Possibly some some key things for I mean for 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 winemakers to think about, but also for customers buying wine. What should they be looking for to try and buy, um, being more sensitive to the environment and climate change? Yeah, I guess well, it's up to every producer to get their story out. I mean, um, you know, I, I don't I mean. I guess the the idea of getting certified to organics is a, is a is a pathway. Mm. Um, it's one of those things where we're, we're we're doing that at the moment, but not necessarily to have on the label. I guess the great thing about social media is that we're able to to show. Our, our, our vineyard growing and um, sort of yeah, people it's, it's like very sp- split amongst winemakers the validity of certification. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah, seems yeah. the people who are certified think it's very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The people who don't think it's less important. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, well, I, well, I think I think if you um, if if you're not, you have to sort of keep telling us story yeah I, yeah I don't think it should be all it's just been sort of organic is, is, is a bit meaningless in a way because there's so many things you're allowed to do in certified organics yeah. what we're doing here is none of what we're doing here besides not using the herbicide is 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 is, is, is pretty organic you know it's, mm. it's more we're trying to do this sort of the, the type of farming that you're doing to restore the land is 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 is, is key to it and um and enliven the soil and Whilst that's that's that, that's a byproduct of organics and biodynamics, it's not the by any means the thing. You can you, I, I can go out to, to down the shop there and buy bags of certified organic fertilizer. Yeah, I mean it's mm. still lots of stuff. <laughs> it's still fertilizer. Yeah, I yeah. mean, so I mean. Uh, whether it's a good thing or not, organics has become a, a buzzword for quality, yeah. even though it, it has yeah. no. It, it, there's no actual link to to quality just from having the name. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But I, um, I, but I still think you know I. I you know, for us, 
one thing that um, made us change more is that our kids got to be, in, we managed to get them through to, to adults. And what they were interested in as young adults, you know, sort of, I remember taking my daughter um, as a, she was just 18, she came to do a rootstock festival with me, mm. one of the first rootstocks up there. And she wasn't wasn't interested in wine at all. She just spent a year, a gap year over in India. So she wasn't. She, she was sort of, sort of, you know, sort of pretty out there. But um, it just changed her. Like she was so interested in what people were doing in that room. Yeah. yeah. As far as this idea of, of, of not being natural, but sort of about, about thinking about all the, the whole process about saying, okay, this is we're, we're interested in where this this is a food. This is where it comes from. And if having a certification means that um, it, it's an easier way of getting the, your story across, so be it. Um, I think there's more you can do, but um, I think the, the next generation that come in that um, I think are certainly when I look at the market that buys my wine, it's, more, it's, it's on the on, on, on the younger side. Even though I'm old, they're on the younger side. <laughs> <laughs> People always get surprised to see me. But but my kids, you know, they, they, they're, they're 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 set to sort of start, be more involved now. But um, I think that people are interested where food comes from and how it's grown. Like mm. you, you care about, um, you know, a tomato you buy at the supermarket or the, the, the farmers market. Farmers market. You care about the fish that's been how it's been how it's been sort of where it's come from, how it's been caught and that, and and how the animals are raised and that. Mm. And wine's part of that, you know. So people, so people care about how it's grown, where it comes from. Probably less about sort of medals and reviews, but they're probably more interested about how you get your story, about how 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 how, how you grow it. Hundred percent, especially in that kind of rootstock crew. I mean, they're, they're, I don't think, I think you'd see a, a gold medal on any of the bottles of any any producer from there, especially not blinged up like some producers. Yeah, right. it's, it's the whole the whole neck of the bottle is covered in bronze medals. Um, yeah, yeah. So so yeah, I mean, it, it's very much less of a care though, those those hmm. those competitions. You know, their their validity isn't another. Kind of conversation, but definitely the story, um, yeah. the ethics, the kind of almost morality behind what someone's doing is more important. Yeah, and I think, where, I, think I think where you end up selling your wine too. So the 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 the, the retailers and the your wine bars and rest, those sort of places that are able to buy wines more around the world, and there's you know it's obviously some really cool lists out there. Mm. Having your wine amongst amongst them also sort of. Is a, is a good sign for people that, okay, because presumably, um, you know, Sonali is going to have more time to, to, to think about the wines and know, have more information about it and collate, when they collate, collate their list. Mm. One of the first sort of wines that I made that I was sort of thinking about, you know, making for one to sell to send a rootstock, um, you know, the, 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 the sommelier from no, the Noma pop-up in Sydney, mm. he came down here for dinner, cooked, cooked him, him, him dinner down here, and so I went and bought this wine of ours, it's this poor at Noma, and he's asked, no, no, no one had heard of us, it's back in this place, so that was yeah, like 2015, I think it was. Yeah, in that maybe? Yeah, so, sure yeah, yes, and um, so for that, for that restaurant, for, you know, obviously, um, to be to be so interested in, in their their beverage and 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 to be wanting these sort of styles of wine that are quite particular to their type of food, which is very much away from sort of high, you know high protein food. Mm. It was again, it was a bit a bit of a trigger moment for us. And okay, that's not 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 necessarily going to create a market to sell my wine to Noma in, in Scandinavia, <laughs> but that what they did and what Rootstock did is is enduring as far as what people. Are wanting out of their um, their produce. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's heartening to see. I remember it. It wasn't too long ago when I first started realizing that chefs were referring to their 
the wineries that they had on their list as their producers mm. in the same way that they referred to their meat supplier yeah. and their fish supplier and their vegetable growers as their producers. Yeah. Mm. And that's something that, like, that's, I mean, I don't know how long that's been going for, but it doesn't seem to me like it's been going it's for not, very long. It's definitely a switch. And it, yeah. it's, it's down to how people communicate communicate about wine as well. And even, you know, what's written on the bottle. Um, the whole thing of telling a customer what fucking fruits <laughs> they're going to experience and they drink yeah, exactly. wine it's like they get to drink it they get to decide that <laughs> what we can tell them is some, like some background information the, the story, story yeah, how yeah. it's made and, and that's more interesting and, and you'll see that in good restaurants good bars that, that's what will be the focus of it mm. um, yeah and it, it, it is it's quite a market change from yeah this is this spectrum of fruit yeah and you know, that's this, right this yeah, oak yeah. treatment and there's yeah. this long yeah. yeah here's your holiday school and here's yeah your exactly yeah it's, like, it's, mm. um, it's um i guess i, I guess every producer needs to find the way of getting find their market but mm. um once once we realized those things weren't important um getting your story across and also trying to um to show people you know the, the what you what you're doing on your farm to make, to, to grow to grow your fruit and to make your wine is that mm. you are really trying to deliver something that is is ho- hopefully they enjoy it or they'll be intrigued by it or scared by it maybe but they, 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 they there's there's it's a it's a it's a it's a beverage that they can sort of you know believe in like they can sort of you know you know interest in beer or all that so it's um mm. It's not caught so much up in um, us sort of telling them what they will find in this wine in 10 years' time if they happen to sell it. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Okay. Um, I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, Brian, good luck with the rest of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. Thank it should you. be an exciting time. It'd be it's good in. to get back to normal and harvest some fruit and make some Abs- wine from abs- here. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Brian. Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. 